Monday. Welcome to the program. Pete Callender here. Kind of recovered. I, I guess I'm probably about 87.5% back. Not full strength, but uh, good enough. That's the words I live by. Good enough. Thanks a lot for uh, hanging out with me. I do appreciate it. I apologize for the roughness of the way the voice sounds today. It's a lot better, though, than it has been over the last four days. Thanks to J.D. Hayworth for uh, for filling in while I was out searching for the voice. Um, it actually never, I never completely lost it. Um, it was, it was just, I, I couldn't even, I could not maintain a, a, a consistent tone. In other words, I sounded like Peter Brady. You know, I know I've just dated myself now. Do you even know what that means? Okay, so if Bernie knows, Bernie the resident millennial, if he knows what that reference is to, then it should be all right. Uh, but yeah, just the voice was cracking and it was just a lot of drainage and it was just uh, so anyway feeling a lot better uh thursday and friday were pretty rough had some really weird um dreams they were I, I never got a fever but it was really weird i thought for some reason like i heard that they had blown up all of the panthers lineup or something and but then i saw they won sunday so obviously that wasn't true um i guess yeah mccaffrey had a very good game it's what it it's what it Seems like, look, I clearly said don't break anything while I'm gone. I clearly said that. And sure enough, I returned and, well, all right, the Panthers did win. And they traded McCaffrey for some picks. And, uh, hey, you know what? I hope uh, I hope it's, a, it, it's a, a harbinger of things to come besides a defeat next week, which is usually how they follow up a win. But uh, maybe not. It's possible they could win two in a row. Let's see. Um. I also saw the nation's report card came out today. We've got uh, Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools' response to their uh, report card, and uh, the national picture is just as bad, and it's bad. It is bad. It is the very thing that people like me uh, were asking during the lockdowns, particularly as they went on. The very beginning when everyone said we have to shut everything down to flatten the curve, right? 15 days to flatten the curve, two weeks to flatten the curve, whatever. And a lot of people got on board with that because when you're dealing with a new virus and no one knows uh, how it's being transmitted, I mean, people believed, people had theories of how it was being transmitted. To me, it always seemed obvious that it was airborne, right? But remember, people were wiping down everything because they thought, the virus was living on surfaces because the initial report said that too. So at the very beginning, when we didn't know what China had unleashed upon, I mean, what had escaped the lab, I mean, what had escaped the wet market, right, from those pandolins or whatever, pangolins? I don't even know what the animal is. I've never even heard of these animals before the Wuhan flu. Okay, fine. We're not allowed to call it that. The commie crud. How about that? Is that all right? Can I call it that? I'm going to call it that. So um, before at the very beginning, everybody was kind of on board, right, with the, the locking down of everything because we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know how it was spread. We just saw people dying. Remember the original images coming out of China? And really, if you can't believe news out of China, who can you believe? And uh, there were you know, people just laying dead in the street and all this. And so people freaked out. You had all of these hospitals that were starting to uh, uh, you know, put triage units in uh, parking decks and stuff. Uh, I remember Trump sent the, the ship off to 
uh, New York to act as the hospital for uh, Governor Cuomo, who apparently, like we know now, was not interested in saving people, but preferred rather to have all of the old people die in New York. Uh, so he did, did not use the ship. But uh, people were preparing for this tsunami of, of COVID patients. And so it made sense initially. So even if you are on board with the initial, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve approach, even if you were like, ah, I'm not so sure, but okay, it became quite clear as the two weeks turned into two months, right? It became very clear that there was no off-ramp, that people didn't know what they were doing. They were just kind of going along and they were following Fauci. Although Fauci now says he never told schools to stay locked down. I heard that. Over the last few days, too. Um, oh, I also watched uh, The Last Dance. That was, I, as a New York Knicks fan growing up, I wanted to hate every bit of it. And there were good, there were good many people in portions I did hate. But, uh, man, I've, I've, I did not realize uh, Michael Jordan such a driven person as he was. Did not realize that. Kind of psychopathic, actually. But, um, <laughs> no, it's, it was a very interesting story. I learned a lot. And I had, you know, like 10 hours just laying on the couch. I also watched the Leonard Skinner documentary, If I Leave Here Tomorrow. I watched the one on the band. I think that was it. Mostly I just slept. Anyway, um, during the, the, the pandemic, the height of the pandemic, when the schools stayed closed, and then even after the school year ended, right, we went into the summertime, and then we started hearing schools were going to stay closed again. And we knew this was detrimental to kids. And if you suggested that, and I know this because I suggested this, I was making the argument that there's another side of the ledger here. And you know me, right? I'm, I'm not exactly a huge proponent of the K-12 GovCo education model. I'm not exactly the biggest booster for K-12 government-run schools. However, I do recognize that people, indeed our entire society, has ordered itself around these institutions. And then you shut them down. And you did damage to kids. Lasting, permanent damage to kids. And I'm just wondering at this point, will anybody acknowledge that that was a mistake? And I don't mean, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll fall on the sword, I'm a terrible person. I'm not, I'm not demanding that. I'm not saying that that's what's required. I am saying there has to be an acknowledgement here that this was a mistake. That's all. I'm not demanding even an apology. I'm just, I'm just asking, can you guys admit that that was the wrong course of action? Like Tamika Walker-Kelly or Kelly Walk, Tamika Walk, Tamika Kelly Walker. I forget. She's the head of the union in North Carolina, the teachers union. Don't call it a union. It's simply an association that is now, obviously, it's a chapter of the national union, but they don't have collective bargaining rights, so they want to pretend they're not a union, but they totally are. Anyway, the teachers union, she's out there during the pandemic saying learning loss is a false construct. I mean, denying that this even exists. Can we get an admission that it was a mistake? You made the bad, you made a bad call. And the reason why it's important to acknowledge that the call that was made was an erroneous one is so it doesn't get made that way again. That's the point. 
There has to be an acknowledgement that this was the wrong course of action. Let's not repeat it. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, Pete Callender, back in the saddle. I will point out here, I mean, you know me, I'm not, I'm not one to hype my own accomplishments, but even while I was in the throes of the, uh, of the head cold, congestion, sore throat, hack and coughing, even I participated in Talktoberfest. I mean, I was merely in the chat comment section, so I didn't actually have to talk because I would not have been able to talk, but... I was chatting along with folks. People were having a grand old time interacting with uh, Mark Garrison and uh, breaking Brett Jensen on the Talktoberfest on Thursday. And I was in the the comment section talking about what I was drinking, which was uh, NyQuil. And I mean, not a lot of it at that point. But um, every Thursday, we got one more coming up on the 27th. So this Thursday, Brett Winterbull, Bo and Beth. They will be the hosts of the final Talktoberfest of October. Uh, it's over at the Facebook page, the WBT Facebook page, presented by Kristen Bernard and Power Home Team, Keller Williams South Park, 8 o'clock every Thursday, Talktoberfest 2022. Come on and hang out with us on a Thursday evening. So, uh, and thanks again, by the way, to everybody with their uh, their well wishes and uh, their their suggestions for the uh, for the remedies, the tea and the honey and the lemon and the bourbon, all of it. I appreciate it. Um, so let me get to these uh, NAEP scores. This is the National Assessment of Educational Progress, <clears throat> and we kind of knew that the um, the performance for the pandemic year that this was going to be bad. We all knew this was going to be bad. We saw some hints of it a couple of weeks ago, right? Student test scores. Nationally now in math and reading over the last two years saw precipitous declines. This is according to the story at the Washington Examiner. The biggest score declines were in math, which the National Center for Educational Statistics said in a press release were the biggest declines ever recorded. Ever recorded. Not a single state saw an increase in scores for either subject. A handful of states saw no change in their results. In all, 51 out of 53 states or territories saw declines in 8th grade math scores, with Delaware West, Delaware, West Virginia, and Oklahoma registering the largest declines. Only Utah and the Department of Defense Education Activity which provides public schooling to military families, only they did not register declines in 8th grade math scores. Utah and the Department of Defense schoolhouses. That's it. This is for 4th and 8th grade. And the people who have told us about the school-to-prison pipeline have focused on 3rd grade reading. If you are not at or above... But if you're not at grade level by the third grade reading, chances are exponentially higher that you will end up in prison. That's why they call it the school-to-prison pipeline. These same people, these same activists, education activists, these same folks were some of the same people leading the charge to keep the schools locked down. Although now, now there's this effort to memory hole that and pretend that that didn't happen. 
and I don't know how you're actually going to pull that one off. I mean, gaslighting adults that kind of roll their eyes at you and say, okay, yeah, whatever. That's one thing. But the attempt to gaslight kids that lived through it, that had their proms canceled and graduation ceremonies canceled. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. Over on, here it is, over on the Twitter machine, there's a guy named Brent Ruswick. And this guy is actually a professor of history of science and medicine, poverty, intellectual disability, eugenics. Okay, so that, yeah, that's his area of expertise. He's a professor of history of science and medicine, poverty, intellectual disability, eugenics. Social studies teacher, educator, I guess, pro-student tweets, represent me alone. And then, of course, he slash him. That's his bio. Because, of course, he puts his pronouns in his bio. The only thing missing is the Ukrainian flag emoji. He doesn't have that in his bio, uh, in his little avatar picture or his, or his name. He doesn't, I don't know why. But this is what he says. This is a professor, a, a history professor which maybe it has to be history from a long time ago for him to know that it happened or something. I'm not sure. He says how quickly we lost the memory battle over 2020. Okay. First of all, I was not aware there was a memory battle going on. Were you? I was not. I did not get the memo. I apologize. I was not drafted. Uh, I was not asked to volunteer for the memory battle. I think I'd have been okay at it. I'm usually pretty good at this stuff. Trivial pursuit, I'm pretty good at. I remember things pretty well. I, I I was not conscripted, though. But apparently this has been going on. The memory battle over 2020. He says, for over a year now, when my students write about COVID, it's about how no one was allowed to leave their homes due to government mandates infringing on our individual liberties. That never happened, and they're so certain it did. So technically, were people allowed to leave their house? If you were essential, I guess, and you weren't hassled when you left the house, right? If you were an essential worker, I guess. But you were, there was also this uh, really prevalent and virulent uh, shaming campaign that was undertaken. People screaming at each other on the sidewalks. I, I've seen the videos. Remember the, the people on the beach that got chased down because they went out on a beach? Remember the surfers that got chased through the waters? Or remember the skate parks that got filled with sand? Proms that were canceled. Graduation ceremonies canceled. School canceled. You were not allowed to go out except for essential reasons, like to go shopping. But you could only bring a certain number of people with you into the stores. So like, how... How were kids this? I've said this from the beginning, the 2020 summer of love riots that were mostly peaceful, but fiery like those riots, I don't think would have happened the way they did, but for the pandemic lockdowns, because it was a socially acceptable way for teenagers, younger people to get out and mix and mingle to get out and do something other than just stare at screens, to be part of something, to have some sort of engagement, civic or otherwise, or a reasonable facsimile thereof. Like it was, it, it was something to do. I don't think it would have happened the way it happened had it not been for the lockdowns.
Student performance. Oh, and by the way, I think one of the things to keep in mind here as I go over these NAEP scores and how bad this has been for the kids, I mean, there is another side here that we have to, because you know, I'm all about inspecting both sides of the ledger, right? We want to, you want to keep in mind all of the pros and cons here. There, these are complex topics. So I do think it's important to always remember that we should not miss the point of K-12 schools, right? To teach the kids their preferred pronouns and to educate them on the wisdom and kindness of Che Guevara. So to that extent, I mean, that is the school's purpose, maybe not necessarily to teach them to read or do do uh, arithmetic. So. Newstalk 1110-993-WBT. Jason Bedrick is a research fellow at Heritage, Heritage Foundation. He points out that uh, 10 points on the NAEP, which is the National Assessment of Educational Progress, also known as the Nation's Report Card. 10 points on the NAEP is considered one grade level. So basically, the results mean that fourth grade students whose classes were entirely or mostly online are about one grade level behind those who had in-person instruction. So everybody that, think about that, everyone who went to online or mostly online are now a grade level behind. CMS, student performance in reading and math slid sharply in Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools Since the start of the pandemic and the district has lost progress, it made towards closing achievement gaps, according to new data released today. This uh, from the Charlotte Observer story by Anna Maria de la Costa. CMS posted the worst scores on record. Note is the worst scores known ever. The percentage of students displaying at least basic reading and math skills is now lower than in 2003 that's when I was covering schools and they first went to the, uh, uh, they, they first adopted the NAEP system when CMS first hooked up with this. This is the lowest it's ever been. Oh, and the achievement gap is now the widest it's ever been. So good job on that school board. Somebody needs to ask the school board again. I'm not seeking an apology. From any of these officials. Now, you can if you would like. I just want them to acknowledge that this was a mistaken policy, that this was the wrong course. Knowing what we know now, was the juice worth the squeeze? Knowing what we know now, would you have closed the schools? Was that the right call? If you had if you had known then what would have occurred, would you have still made this decision? And maybe some of them will say yes. But I think that would be putting their political hides above the performance and the benefits of the kids. The district saw achievement gaps between white and black and Hispanic students grow by double digits. In response to a request for comments, CMS officials said that they would take time to digest the data. And then, re- then like regurgitate it and then... Probably puke a couple more times. Sorry, I know it's lunchtime. I apologize. I shouldn't. Okay. North Carolina's reading and math scores on the NAEP exams also dropped to the lowest level in three decades. 
the state's racial and socioeconomic achievement gaps on the exams widened in several areas. Let's see here. In uh, we got fourth and eighth grades, right? That's when they do these tests. Fourth grade math. Th- this is for proficiency, okay? Thirty-four and a half percent proficient. Fourth grade math. Only about a third of the kids are proficient. That is a decline of 14 percentage points. It was almost half at proficiency before the pandemic. Now it's a third. Eighth grade math, it's less than that, 29.5%. Fourth grade reading, it's at 33%. So it's actually lower than math. And for reading at the... um, Eighth grade level, it's 29%. So it's actually worse. It's actually worse the older the kids get. The longer the school system has the kids, the worse they perform. Are the kids getting stupider? Is that what's happening? The kids are getting stupider the longer they're in the classes? The longer that they go to CMS, they get dumber? Is that what happens? How else do you how else do you explain this? Because this trend, that's that's constant. Even though the overall numbers are down, the trend is the constant thing. They do better at the younger grade levels, and then as they get older, they get worse. Why? Maybe someone want to take a look at that? Several studies, including from the Brookings Institution, which is of the left, sort of the, uh, what do I call it, the green room for Democrat administrations, Um. They have shown extended periods of remote instruction had crippling impacts on learning. During the first year of the pandemic, CMS went to online instruction. Decades of gains have now been lost. Black fourth graders in Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools had an average reading score that was 44 points lower than white students. 44 points lower. That is what used to be called the achievement gap. Now I think they've started calling it the opportunity gap because if you just call it something else, then it's not quite so bad, you know? It's just a branding thing, that's all. If we call it an opportunity gap, then it doesn't make it seem like, you know, we're damning these kids to a lifetime of poverty and criminality. Right, it's, yeah, yeah. 44 points difference between performance between white and black students. That is larger. That is a bigger gap than it was in 2003 when CMS first started participating in the NAEPs, uh, the NAEP tests. We have wiped away all of the progress that was made towards closing the achievement gaps. Every bit of it gone. Hispanic students had an average score 50 points lower than white students. That's a th- that gap widened 35 points from 2003. 64% of white students, by the way, this is one of the things that they found after Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools, you know, they were busing kids all over the place because they were under court orders to do so, remember? And um, then they got sued. And the court said, you are no longer bound by the court's rulings Uh, You have uh, uh, gotten rid of the last vestiges of racism. You're not a racist school district any longer. You're not allocating resources based on race. And so you don't have to bus anymore. And for the progressives, this was terrible. They, this was awful. They were like, we got to keep busing kids. 
And so they tried to convince the court, like, no, 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 we are totally racist. Like, we had, we had Black Board of Education members saying, we're racist. We're still racist. Against black kids. Like, so that was their argument. Uh, we can't be trusted. And um, uh, they lost. And so they got rid of the race-based busing. Then they tried to do, like, socioeconomic busing. They tried to do all of these different workarounds with the drawing of the school zones and stuff for student assignment and all of that. They tried. But here's one of the, here's one of the things that was occurring that we, we all became very aware of after the race-based busing was dismantled, which was student performance, the achievement gap, was being masked at the school level. We didn't know how black and white kids were performing because when you bus everybody around to racially balance it all, all the schools look like they're equal. And then when students started going to their, quote, neighborhood schools, which became racially identifiable, which means majority of one race or another, right? Because it, rep- it looks like the neighborhood from which the kids are coming. And so you end up with these schools that now see some higher scores because there's a higher white population, lower scores with black kids or Hispanic kids. So you start seeing this sorting occurring. And it exposed what CMS had been doing. Right, which is essentially padding the stats, right? They were juicing the stats. They're, they're, you're not, and here's the problem. You're not helping the kids. You weren't helping those kids achieve more. You were masking the stats. And so now everybody sees what the stats are. 64% of white students scored at or above the proficient level in reading. 18% of black students scored at or above proficiency. 17% of Hispanic students at or above proficiency. This is a major problem. And until our culture, until our society celebrates education rather than criminality, I don't see it getting any better. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. And as always, the email Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. Follow me on Twitter where I have now adopted uh, the new title of Troll Militia Leader. I was, I was told today that I have a troll militia. I was unaware that I had such a thing, but apparently I do. And uh, so, as any leader of a troll militia, I would have to obviously, you know, assume the rank, uh, the position, and so I have. I am the Troll Militia Leader. So if you're on Twitter... Be part of the militia. Pete's troll militia. I don't know what we do. We have no meetings. Uh, there are no ranks either. Um, yeah, basically we just retweet people. Make some jokes. That's about it. No, it started with this woman, this um, idiot citizen journalist down at the beach. Uh, I think her name is Sookie. And uh, she said um, that uh, she regurgitated this lie that... Uh, the Democrats were all at a 9-11 memorial service when the Republicans at the uh, North Carolina House voted to override the governor's budget veto. That, that was a lie. They were not, the Democrats were not all at a 9-11 memorial service. They were across the street working on redistricting maps. That's what they said. But Governor Cooper made a claim that was then regurgitated and it went all around the world and all the Democrats believed that The Republicans so hate America and are such hypocrites that they did this vote override vote uh, or the veto override vote 
uh, on 9-11 while Democrats were out honoring the dead. And that was not the case. They were, I mean, unless, of course, you could say they were honoring the dead by, you know, creating gerrymandered maps. That's, that's possible. I mean, I don't, it's a different kind of tribute. Um, yeah, so she accused me of whipping up my troll militia against her or something. Well, actually, she said that I was arguing with her. I was going back and forth, and that meant I knew that she was right. By directly engaging with her, that proved she was right because I was discussing her lie because that's a lie. And I gave her the PolitiFact article. I gave her the information and she just refused to accept it. And and then she said that the fact that I was discussing it with her one-on-one was proof that I knew she was correct because otherwise I would have my troll militia attack her, <laughs> which then of course I retweeted that. And then they did. And, uh, and then she said that proved her point as well. So it was almost like anything I did would prove that she was right in her wrongness. Anyway, I digress. It's all, all, all of that is just to say, come on over to Twitter. We have some fun over there throughout the day. Um, all right. Meanwhile, we've got Charlotte Mecklenburg police announcing that they have made an arrest of a, uh, in the murder of a 30 year old woman. No, I'm sorry. Hang on. Oh, that's the mother who, uh, that's the mom, 30 year old mom who threw the bleach in the bus driver's face. Right, right. That's a different story. Hang on. Um, there is a commonality, though, between these two people that have been arrested. All right, so CMPD has uh, charged a man accused of shooting and killing a woman in an ATM in July. According to the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department, Karen Baker was killed in a random robbery on July 13th in University City. Her family said she was getting money from an ATM when it happened. On Sunday, police identified the suspect as Juwan Horton, 24, charged now with first-degree murder robbery with a dangerous weapon and possession of a firearm by a felon. Oh, I guess the billboard didn't work then, huh? Think again. All you felons looking to commit gun crimes. Think again. I guess he didn't. No, he went and murdered a woman. According to the North Carolina Department of Public Safety, Horton had just gotten out of prison five months before Baker's murder. He had been convicted of armed robbery. Gosh, if only there was some sort of a sign that would have indicated he was a violent threat to the community. I don't know. We may never know. Sunday, Baker's son, William McClure, told Channel 9's Glenn Counts that if the system worked, Horton would have been in prison and not able to commit the crime that took his mother's life. At some point, people are going to wake up and realize, you get what you vote for here, folks. The man, this is what the the son said, quote, this man should have never been released back onto the streets. And what I don't understand, why is it that it has to get to the point where someone's life has to be taken before something is taken seriously? William McClure said, unfortunately, I don't think it's even going to be taken seriously, even with his mother's murder. I don't, I I don't see, I mean, look around at all of these cities that are controlled by Democrats, these big cities with the rising homicide rates and violent crime rates, and they still keep voting them in. It doesn't change until you punish the people who bring you these policies. And that's not, and Republicans can't do anything about it, right? I mean, Republicans have all left. If they're still in town, yes, they'll vote for an opposition candidate, but generally there aren't even opposition candidates to, um, to run. For them to vote for. 
So this is a Democrat problem. If you want this to change Democrats, you have to change it in your cities that you control. Police arrested a 30-year-old woman accused of throwing bleach in the face of a Charlotte-Mecklenburg school bus driver. Regina Nicole Fields was charged with assault on a school employee. The driver was attacked just after 7.30 a.m. on Tuesday, Central Avenue. Police have not said if they know what prompted the attack. Obviously, the woman's insane. The attacker was a parent, also insane. Uh, CMS bus 1701 was headed to Winterfield Elementary School with nine students aboard. Looking at the uh, the mug shots of both of these uh, alleged defendants, face tattoos, face tattoos. That is like seriously, it's like it's like watching cops and they pull up and the guy's shirtless or he's wearing a wife beater t shirt, right? Like if you want a clear indication that this guy is going to jail, that is it, right? You want a clear indication somebody is making bad life choices? Face tattoos. I'm sorry, but face tattoos. Both of them had it. Oh, but here's some good news, too. Three arrests made in connection with a string of car break-ins dating back to June. Um, Nazir Lucky, Ezia Ward, and Adalberto De La Cruz all got arrested. Uh... Amazingly, Ward was arrested earlier this year and charged in the murder of Quantea Young just days before Christmas. But glad to see he was out and about, still stealing stuff out of cars and stealing cars. (laughs) 